0: Right, that you know your redeemer lives, and uh, if you're a guest here today, my name is Charlie Shaw. I'm one of the pastors here. Our senior pastor, Eric Capace, is is preaching at a church in Chattanooga. Now he does not normally do this. He does not normally uh, go out and preach uh, on Sundays. Normally, if he's gone on a Sunday, it's because he's on vacation or he's on a mission trip or something like this. And so this is kind of a uh, a special thing that he 's doing uh, for a church and uh, and so uh, pray for him I think uh, Karen and I think Zoe went with him right, and they drove, and so they'll be coming back tomorrow that 's about a nine hour right How many like to drive nine hours? o no me neither uh, you know I, I don't either so uh, please remember uh, our pastor in in your prayers tomorrow and uh, we'll see what uh, what the Lord has for us today. Uh, our text this morning, of course, Matthew chapter 28, um, is, if you've got any background in church at all, you know that, you know these verses, okay? These verses are what is referred to as the Great Commission. And if you take out your worship guide, I want you to just flip on uh, to the front page, just for a moment there. Most of the times, uh, when we come in as a church family, we don't really look at the front page But if you're a guest here today, we want you to understand uh, what our church is about. And you'll kind of get an idea uh, uh, of why this message I believe God would have us to hear today. If you look on that front page, you'll see that the main vision and focus of Gospel Light as a church is to glorify God. Our purpose is to glorify God. And hopefully this morning, you've already experienced some of that uh, in in our, our musical worship. But the thing about it is, is this, uh, this whole thing about worshiping God, it, it drives people to, to do something about that. It's wonderful to hear and to sing and to experience all of these things about my Redeemer living at the cross and sing about that and think about yourself and, and what God has done in your life and how that God found you and brought you to a place of salvation But if that's all you do with it, if it never drives you out to speak to anyone else about it, then what happens is we're stuck on the purpose, but we never get to the mission. So if you'll look on that front page, it says our mission is to make disciples of all nations. This whole idea of glorifying God As a body of believers, as a church family, is for us corporately to do more than we could do individually and go out and make disciples of all nations. If we believe that that God wrote the Bible, and I believe that, then what happens is that creates some problems for those who aren't followers of Christ and, and for those who are cultural Christians. In other words, those that aren't true followers of Christ. Because one of the bigger ones, if honestly, if God wrote the Bible, then really when you read the scriptures, God looks a bit egotistical. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, our purpose is to glorify God. So we've got an entire book of the Bible called Psalms, in which God says, sing to me, praise me, make much of me, right? You better clap your hands for me. You better shout for joy for me. You better dance. You better play that cymbal louder, louder, Tyler. You better better. Just sing as loud as you can. You have this God who's just on repeat. Sing to me, praise to me, make much of make make much of me. And if you're not careful, you get this kind of uneasy feeling of, well, we're not. It's not supposed to be about all about just an individual. But God is God, and God has the right to have much made about Him. In fact, C.S. Lewis who most of you probably know from the Chronicles of Narnia. He's the guy that wrote that. He was a professor at Oxford and Cambridge. And before he was a believer, here's what he said about God. He said, God in the Psalms sounds like a little old lady begging for compliments. That's what he said. But let me read to you what he said post-conversion. Once Lewis got saved, he said this. It is the process of being worshipped that God communicates His presence. Let me turn this thing so I can get it better there. There we go. His presence to men. It is not, of course, the only way. But for many people at many times, the fair beauty of the Lord is revealed chiefly or only while they worship Him together. The miserable idea that God should in any sense need or crave for our worship like a vain woman wanting compliments, so he picked that back up when he got saved, or a vain author presenting his new books to people who never met or heard him is implicitly answered by the words, if I be hungry, I wouldn't tell you, right? Even if such an absurd deity could be conceived, he would hardly come to us, the lowest of rational creatures, to gratify his appetite. Then he said this, I don't need my dog The bark approval of my books. And so the real thing you need to take away from what C.S. Lewis is concluding here, post-conversion from the Psalms, is that God's demand that we praise Him, make much of Him, sing to Him, rejoice in Him, and bring glory to Him, has nothing to do with Him, but everything to do with us. So our purpose is to glorify God. It basically breaks down into two, two major ways we do that. We bring glory to God in how we act, interact with each other. What did Jesus say that the identifying mark of his disciples was? Was it a Bible knowledge that surpassed all others? Was it an ability to sing, an ability to preach? or Was it all these other things? Like No, what did he say? He said... They'll know you, my, that you're my disciples because you have one for another. So the identifying mark of bringing glory to God is how we treat each other. How are we doing, church? How is that identifying mark in your life? How are you treating the other members of this faith family? The second way, the primary way we bring glory to God, which leads to our mission statement, is as a church by making disciples of all nations. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to walk through some scriptures. I'm kind of going to read them and then talk about them, read them, talk about them, read them, talk about them. And see if we can get an idea of how do we accomplish the mission of the church. Because the church is not a corporate body. It's not gospelite, Baptist church, Inc., It's not the buildings here on 600 Garland. It's not the sign outside. The church is sitting in this room. You are the church. So when you say, well, let's go to church, it's impossible to go to church because you are the church. You can go to the church building. See, this building can't fulfill the mission of Christ. Gospelite Inc. can't fulfill the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ is fulfilled through the church, which is us. So let's, let's dive in and let's take a look, all right? Let's take a look at uh, verse number uh, 18, Matthew 28. And the Bible says here that Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now let's just stop right there. Everybody look at me right here. It really doesn't matter what he says after that, does it? Right, because that word power there, uh, it could also be translated authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. In other words, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the universe. I am the Lord of everything. God the Father has given all authority, all power, all decision making everything to the one, to the one that post-conversion we shook our fist at, we denied, we said, I don't even believe in that, the one who, who bled and died, The one who was resurrected, he has now become Lord of everything. He sits at the right hand of God Almighty, and all authority is given unto him. In other words, he has a right to tell us and everybody else on planet Earth how the cow eats the cabbage. Okay? He's got, that's a southern phrase. I don't know, that's a North Carolina phrase. I'm not sure if that works in Arkansas. Okay? Well, what, what I'm saying is this. Jesus has the right to tell you and me how to live our lives. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. You don't have a right to decide what you do and don't do. He's the Lord, God of everything. So does it, doesn't Jesus operate this way if we follow his life? I mean, think about it. Who else tells a guy who's been dead in the ground three days to stop it? Right? Right? Lazarus, get up, come out here. Right? I mean, can you imagine being there when that happened? I mean, what kind of authority is that? I mean, do you know a brother that can do that? You don't, but Jesus did, right? How about rebuking the storm, right? They're in the storm, and he just says stop. And everything just goes still. Have you ever seen anybody do that? No, but the one with all authority can do that. Government authority, yeah, that's mine, he says, I'll use that. What about authority found in nature? Oh, yeah, that's mine, I'll do that. So then when we watch what he does with this authority, he commands his people to go out. He says, all authority, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth, in the entire universe, and what I am telling you to do is this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. You see that? This idea of act, this act actually has the kind of idea like this: as you go, as you go in your life, the purpose behind your life, what you've been created for, is actually to make disciples. I know you thought it was to make money. I know you thought it was to make friends. I know you thought it was to be a Christian school teacher. I, you thought it was to be a a, a staff member. You thought it was to be an insurance salesman. You thought it was to be a lawyer. Well, I went, you know, my dad was a lawyer. I went to school for eight years. Sorry, Dad. That's not the purpose for your life. That's not the purpose for any of our life who have been saved by the grace of this Lord. He's saying to all of us, as you go in your life, I want you, I want you to, do these things. Now look, before we get into it, I, I want to talk to you about you for a second. I want to talk about me for a second. And I think it's important things that can, we can find to watch how intricately God is involved in your life. Ken, if you'll put up Psalm 139. I, I want us to take a look at these verses real quick. Now Psalm 139 now, if you've been in church any amount of time, and you've been in any ladies' meetings, you know that these verses have pretty much been hijacked by women. Okay? But what I want you to know is, yes, ladies, it does, it does apply to what you think it does. Okay? It does. But it also applies to everyone. It doesn't apply just to women. Right? But it applies to everyone. I want you to take a look at what it says. For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in, my book, in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance was fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Right? I mean, the, the primary application here is in the mother's womb, we're human beings. Last week uh, was the Sanctity of, of Life Sunday. And we as followers of Jesus Christ believe that that substance is a human being. And if you kill that substance, you are murdering a human being. Now, if you're a guest here today and that offends you, I'm sorry. It's not something we came up with as followers of Christ. It's something that God, as you can see in those verses, God has laid out. It's God that says that. God says that, all right? So, here's what he just said. You know, God knit you together in your mother's womb. But I think there's two kind of pieces here that we're talking about that what God did in there, okay? One, of course, is obvious. God put together our physical form, how we're built, okay? So he did that in light of the days he has formed for us. I'll use myself as an example, okay? People come up to me. And say, wow, you're short. Like, I have anything to do with that. <laughs> did Did you get a, you know, how many have been to Muyah's Burgers? You ever go there, right? You take out this little form and you check off the things you want, right? I didn't get one of those forms before I was born. Because I wouldn't have gone, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have gone five foot, ball-headed, fat. I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, Six foot, you know, a lot of black flowing, right? I wouldn't have done that. Well, I didn't get that choice, and neither did you. But God formed me this way on purpose. He formed me this way on purpose. I was, I was out visiting one day, and I was talking to this guy. He was working on his car, Mark. Big old strapping guy. Bigger than you, Jim. I mean, you know, preacher always uses Jim as like the biggest guy in the world, you know, but he was bigger than you, Jim. He was like 6'4, he's about 280, right? He's working on this car. Well, somebody had asked me to go visit him, you know. And so I'm trying to talk to the guy, right? And he's as nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. That's another southern expression. That means he's just really, he's really tight, right? He's really locked up. And the reason he is, because I'm trying to talk to him about Jesus. He knows why I'm there. I know why I'm there. And he's like, he's nervous about that. So he's like constantly going around the car. I mean, he's just constantly getting stuff, constantly. And I'm trying to walk behind him and follow him, right? Well, one of our church members drove by, and it, they just, they said, I almost stopped and just, I, I, I had to pull off the road. I was laughing so hard. I said, here's this six foot four, 280 guy, and it looks like you're chasing him, you know? And he's running from you. You know, like, what in the world? You know, and I see, I go, okay, well, see, God did that on purpose. See, God made me five foot tall so that, you know, that he could show, you know what, the gospel is a lot more powerful than just the size of an individual. But you get what I'm saying, right? You get what I'm saying here. Here's the second piece, I think, what God did in here. The second piece is this. I think he's talking about your aptitudes. How you were wired. How you're designed. Because everybody in here is a unique individual, right? You're a designer model. I don't care if you're a twin, right? You are a designer model. How I many, you know, snowflakes, right? Never have the same one twice. Well, guess what? There's never been a same human being twice. So, you know what that means? You were designed specifically and uniquely by God. There's nobody else that ever lived or ever will live or is ever living right now that's exactly like you. So you know what that means? Hey, dude, what that means is, and I'm not just saying dude to him, that's his real name, right? His name is dude. So you don't don't have to forget his name. You say, hey, dude, right? (coughs) But here's how it works. No amount of time that I spend with God can make up for the time that dude doesn't if he doesn't. Because see, dude's wired different than I am. There's something that God put in dude that only dude can bring to God. That freaks you out when I say keep saying dude doesn't. But you get that? So I can't make up for the time that you spend with God or don't spend with God, and you can't do it for me. See, God has given us our aptitudes, right? God has wired us the way we're wired. God has designed us, right? I mean, I want you to think about this. You're drawn to things and you don't know why. Right? You're good at things and you don't know why. Some people are drawn to athletics, right? They love them. I mean, from the time they're little kids, right? They just want the ball. Give me the ball, right? I'm Michael Jordan. Where's the ball? Give me the ball. They just want to play every sport they can. I think about Robert Lane when I think about that. From the time I've known Robert, and I've known Robert a long time. I mean, when he was a little kid, I knew Robert. And from the time I've known Robert, he's always played basketball. Always. Right? I don't really just see Robert, you know, going, going to his mother and she's going, Robert, what do you want to do? Do you want to play ball? No, mother. I want to stay inside and paint. I want to color. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't see Robert that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? God wired Robert that way. Now, some do want to color. Some do want to paint. Some want to sing. Some want to learn the piano. No, that's probably not true. I think everybody that ever has learned piano, their mothers have made them do it to begin with. So, some of you are really good at business, right? You have this intrinsic entrepreneurial thing, you know. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to get it done. You're driven. You're linear. You know, you're, you're drawn in certain directions. And We're not quite sure why we love certain things, and we aren't quite sure why you've been wired that way. See, that's God doing that. That's not genetics. <clears throat> How many of you saw this thing recently where they they've determined that? At, and there was this. Um, I don't, when I really want to be really speaking propriety here, the way I say this, it was a fertility clinic. Anybody see that on the news where this guy that worked there used. His, yeah, his DNA. Instead of using the DNA that was given, and so there's like all these kids that are his, and they found this one girl, right? They, they, it was on television. They had this one girl, right, and her mom was saying, you know, she always had these aptitudes and things that that me and my husband don't have, right? but it was because her dad's not really her dad. Well, I was sitting there thinking and going, I'm going, I just want to, I'm, I want to scream at the t- television. That's not DNA, that's God. God gives you the aptitudes you have. God wires you the way you're wired. God does that. Now, follow me, okay? Because I want to tag this in to what we're getting ready to talk about. That In Acts 17, Verses 24 to 27. Ken's going to put that up so you don't have to turn there. I want you to look at that and read that with me, okay? God that made the world and all things therein... ...seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth... ...dwelleth not in temples made with hands... ...neither is worship with men's hands... ...as though he needed anything... ...seeing he giveth... ...look where it says... ...he giveth to all life and breath and all things... ...and have made of one blood all nations of men... For to dwell on all the face of the earth, and look at this next part, and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He said, what does that mean in 21st century Arkansas language, right? What that means is this. God himself determined the time you would be born and die. God determined that you would be born in the 21st century, 20th century. God determines when you're born and when you die. And he also determined the place or places you would live during that time. Let me paint you a picture of how that works. So disciples are found and maimed and drawn into the kingdom of God. Alright? For no other reason than God, I was born in a family that the only college that really mattered and existed on planet Earth was the University of North Carolina. Okay? My father went to undergraduate school there. He went to law school there. My mother uh, was a nurse in the hospital there. So from my earliest memory, I've been a North Carolina Tar Heel. Okay? So by the way, I've had four children, none of whom attended Carolina, but all who are diehard Carolina fans. Now, this is a picture of my entire family there. I didn't lose a one to Duke or NC State. (laughs) I also have three grandchildren, and the two of them that can understand are diehard Carolina fans. Okay? And so I don't know why, but I just know that God put me in that kind of family. Okay? Now, when it came time to apply to college... Do you know how many colleges I applied to? One. Can't take that down. They're looking at the picture and they're not looking at me. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I applied to one. You guessed it. The University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I was accepted and I enrolled in the the fall of 1973. I don't know. Right now you're going, man, how old is that dude, you know? Not that dude, this dude, right? How old is that guy, you know? I'm 59, I'll be 60 this year, okay? So 73, I enrolled, all right? Now, in my sophomore year at college, my RA, Spencer Tilly, invited me to an outdoor Christian event. That's how he phrased it, outdoor Christian event. Now you gotta understand something. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know church lingo. I'd never heard anybody even say Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I didn't have any idea what that meant. So he said an outdoor Christian event, and I'm thinking this ought to be a hoot. What in, what in the world could Christians possibly do outside? <laughs> right? We drive from Chapel Hill going to Raleigh. Okay, Dustin Breland, who? leading the stuff up here a while ago. He's an NC State fan. That's in Raleigh, okay? So we're going there, and I said, where are we going? They're going, we're going to Carter-Finley Stadium. That's the NC State Wolfpack football stadium. And I'm going, oh, this ought to be really good. We're going to go watch Christians play football. We get there, and it's not like that at all. It's, there's this, it looks like a, a, a rock concert. Now, I've been to those, man. I'd been to stadiums, right? I've seen Led Zeppelin and and these guys out here in these stadiums, right? And when I got there, it looked like that. And I said, oh, my goodness, we're going to listen to a Christian rock concert? Well, what it turned out to be was Billy Graham crusade. So you you, you might want to criticize Billy, but don't criticize Billy around me. Don't criticize Billy around me because the very first time I ever heard the gospel in my life was there. I didn't get saved. That dad didn't even know what they were talking about. I mean, salvation is a process. I, I didn't have any idea. They they did the invitation, everybody's going forward. I'm going, what are they doing? And the guy beside me, he he uses he's using Christian language, right? He's going, they're going to get saved. I said, saved from what? There's nothing happening up here. Oh, you know? No, I didn't. But what I'm saying to you is this God determined. The time appointed and the bound of my habitation. And those two things collided in a dorm in Chapel Hill, North Carolina in 1974 and began a process that finally led to my surrendering my life to Christ and becoming a follower of His. I'm standing here today and opening up the Word of God, and I'm proclaiming to you: If anything good happens in your heart in this place today, it's because an RA at the University of North Carolina saw past college dorm life and into eternity. He treated his RA duties as a mission field for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. See, it meant it meant it brought a meaning to going to college that transcended just going to class and ball games. I want you to look at verse number 27 there. It says that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him. Let's look at the next part. Though he be not far from every one of us. Now, that does mean that, yeah, God is with around everyone. That does mean that. But more particularly, here's what it means the reason of you living in your neighborhood goes well beyond you simply living in that neighborhood. You, who is in the office next to you, is in the cubicle next to you, whatever, whatever you share as a workstation, that goes monumentally beyond just work. In your outline there, I want to make this statement. What brings purpose to the workplace or your neighborhood is our understanding that we've been uniquely wired and uniquely placed. What brings purpose to the workplace and to your neighborhood is our understanding that we've been uniquely wired and uniquely placed. You live in the neighborhood you live in to reveal God to those people. You work where you work because you are to bring God to those people. God has done these things on purpose. So how does that work? Because men will seek him and find him because he's not far from any of us. Now how does that work? He met me in a college dormitory. And what he meant when he said that, he's not far from any of, the, of us, is he wasn't far f- from me because Spencer Tilly was there. Living on the same hall, right down a few rooms. And I didn't even know God existed, but God wasn't very far from me because Spencer Tilly had the Holy Spirit of God in him, and he was there. Your neighbor... God is not far from them because you're next door. Your coworker. God is not far from them because you're next door. Those other adults you sit with when your kids are playing soccer or flag football, God is near them because you're sitting in the bleachers. There's an eternal significance to every aspect of your life, follower of Christ. I have recently joined the YMCA. And because I can't do anything about five foot tall and I can't do anything about ball, but I can do something about fat. Okay? So I definitely want to get healthy. But it also helps me build relationships with people who don't know Jesus. See, I work around a bunch of Christians. And you know what? You actually have to be a believer in Christ to be on staff here. You know, you actually do. It's actually in the rules. Are you a Christian? No. Well, I'm afraid you can't be a group guy then. You know, right? I want to embrace in this community God's call on my life to herald the good news of the gospel. I'm meeting people I would not meet otherwise. In all of this, I want to see that through this lens. God is near to them because he's put me there. We've been going, two weeks? Two weeks? I can't hardly walk. I mean, you know. It's, but Matt and Denise go, and they, they're there a lot when we're there. And, you know, it's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, Matt's like, if, if anything happens, man, you know, I'm here. You know. I look at my wife and say, I can't get off the treadmill. You're going to have to help me off, you know. But part of what I'm doing is swimming. I, I've been swimming since I was four years old. And that's like riding a bike. I mean, you can... I got back in the water. I knew... I remembered every stroke. And I know them all, man. I can do everything. But I'm sitting there. And Mark it's, I'm going... I'm, I'm doing this high-intensity training, right? My son is into that kind of stuff. James Manthe. You know, other guys. You know, hey, they know what I'm talking about. This high-intensity training stuff. And so my son kind of gave me a way to do this stuff. And I mean... I'm, I'm, like, trying to do this thing, and I, I mean I can't even breathe, right? I mean, I'm, I'm stopping at the end of the pool, and my head, I'm, you talk about swimming, my head's swimming. I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm going to pass out in the pool, you know. Thank God there's a lifeguard in here. Well, I'm sitting there resting at one point, and I notice this other guy beside me in the other lane, right? Now, he's bald-headed, tall, and fat. So we've got at least two things common, Right? He's looking at me, I'm looking at him. He's looking at me, I'm looking at him. He ain't saying a word, right? So I'm saying, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what I'm teaching in my equip group. Just walk across the room, right? Just swim across the pool, you know? And so I introduced myself. Charlie, you know, Roy Wood. Some of you may know Roy, I don't know. But I introduced myself to him. After we got out of the pool, we had about a 25-minute conversation. Right? Found out Roy goes on Tuesday nights, 5.30. So guess when I'm going? I'm going Tuesday nights at 5.30. Why? Yeah, to get healthy, right? But more because Roy's going to be there. And see, God has worked the time and places in my life to intercept me with Roy. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We must write that down. We must herald the gospel to people. You must herald it. No one is ever going to look at your life and go, Do you know what? You're just an upstanding citizen. I think I'll trust your God. Right? You've got to open your mouth. Let me read Romans 10 real quick to you Romans 10 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him and whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him and whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring good glad tidings of good things. When it says preacher there, it's not talking about staff man, I'm talking about proclaimer. How many of you can speak in here? Then that's you. Proclaimer, okay? You're going to eventually have to open your mouth and say it. You're going to eventually have to open your mouth and and talk to people. Lifestyle evangelism only works if you get to the evangelism part, right? So, how do we accomplish this mission? By making disciples through us individually living this out and corporately inviting them into our family, okay? But it doesn't stop there. It says, as you go, make disciples of all nations. But it keeps going. And it says, number two, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. As we proclaim, some are going to repent and believe. It's going to happen. Not everybody. But some are going to believe. And don't let the people that don't believe keep you from giving the gospel to those that who will believe. I want to believe that my heralding, God is going to save. I know he's not going to save everybody, but I know he's going to save some. And I'm willing to give, sow the seed a lot so that the some can come. I didn't put that on there, but that was, you know, it's like a rhyme right there. I was busting out on that joke. Yeah. But those he does save, we baptize. Okay don't need to go through a whole lot about that. We're in a Baptist church, but if you're a guest here today, let me just say this. You know, my feel on that is this. In the South, baptism can become kind of a ritualistic traditional idea. In other words, it's just something you do. I've talked to people before about their soul and they say, "Well, I've been baptized." Like being baptized gets you to heaven. Baptism doesn't get you to heaven, right? Baptism is us publicly saying, "I've died with Christ and I've been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life." Right? person's in the water, they go under the water, that represents the death and burial. person comes out of the water, that represents resurrection, right? And so what we're saying there is a public thing. And baptism is important. Baptism is one of the two ordinances in the Baptist church, in any church. Lord's Supper, man, we're dogmatic about that. Somebody comes in, how many times y'all do the Lord's Supper, right? But baptism is an ordinance just like that. Let me just say something to brothers and sisters in here that are pushing that baptism thing down the timeline. Let me, let me just tell you, you are living in disobedience. You are living in disobedience. If you've become a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted Him as your Savior, and you've become a follower, and you've not been scripturally baptized, you are living in disobedience. Don't do that. Import, baptism is important to God. You know, I mean, it's one of the greatest celebrations of those who've come to know Christ. It's a great picture of that, that we've died as far as God is concerned, right? Charlie Shaw is dead. The one who partied like he, back, he did back in the day. I don't need to worry about that guy. In the eyes of God, he's dead. The one who struggled, I don't have to worry about that paying for that that cat is gone he's dead the one who even now is fighting in my life about different things and, and sins and things that go on in my life that guy is dead I died with Christ when Christ died on the cross he took all of my sin all of my wickedness all of my unrighteousness all of my wandering all my doubts all my fears they went in the ground with Jesus and that's what baptism shows. It shows I've died with Christ. And then when you get to that resurrection part, you know, thank God we don't just hold them underwater for five minutes, you know what I'm saying. But when you get to that resurrection part, I now get to celebrate what he's given me in this new life. He's filled me with God's Holy Spirit. He's enabled me and embodied obedience in my my life and the things of God. He's granted me this grace of obedience and and baptism as a public showing of our union with Christ. It's not to be taken lightly. It's important. It's a huge thing. It's one of the things that when Jesus did it, God literally spoke from heaven audibly and people heard him. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. After he came up out of the water of baptism. Please, brother, sister, if you've not done this, please don't push it. Come see us. Please come see us. You need to do this. Well, let's go on. Verse number 20 there, as we're moving through these verses, says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. In other words, we've got, these disciples have to teach these disciples to observe all that he commanded these disciples to do. You say, what does that mean? Well, this is what I wrote in your notes. These disciples have to teach the new disciples to do all that... He commanded the first disciples. So in other words, I'll say it again, these disciples have to teach the new disciples to do all that he commanded the first disciples. Here's the deal. The expectation is the disciples who are making disciples are also observing all he commanded. That's, that's some tension right there. The expectation is disciples who are making disciples are also observing all that he commanded. Let me ask you a a question. Do you think we'll ever get to the point on this earth that we're observing all he commanded? Are any of you having a 100% day? Because if you are, tell me how you do that. Right? And nothing is more crushing to Christian maturation and growth than the idea that you're going to arrive or that you have arrived. That's putting a crushing weight on you. That's not going to happen. Or you'll walk around with some self righteousness that's disgusting before the Lord. So it's this idea here then that God doesn't have this expectation that you've arrived or that you ever will arrive this side of the grave. No way. Our lives are marked. By a perpetual and near constant ethic of confession, repentance, and reconciliation. Confession, repentance, and reconciliation. That's my daily life. Okay? God tells me to do something. I don't do it. Well, God tells me not to do something, and I do it. Okay? So then what have I got to do, Brother Jerry? I've got to confess repent, and be reconciled, right? And it's a daily thing, daily. I mean, there's no way I can wait from Sunday to Sunday and come down to the altar and handle all that. Are you kidding me? No, it's a daily thing, right? The life of the believer is marked by these things. It's a biblical expectation on the people of God that we're ever maturing, we're ever moving, but we're also sinners, so if I'm going to disciple somebody and God's saying I've got to observe all these things and then I've got to try to train somebody else to do these things, then I've got to live in this constant state of make, getting right with God all the time. Confession, repentance, re- reconciliation. Confession, repentance, reconciliation. Right? I mean, if we could sit down with, with you guys. I mean, probably what you say is, you know, in this area, I'm, I'm, I think I got it locked in pretty good, but over here I'm not doing too well. Right? And over here I've got a problem, but over here I, I'm doing this pretty good. Let me, let, me, let me help you with something. Ten years from now, what's going to happen is, those things are going to be kind of like reversed. I mean, you're going to be doing really good with those things. You're not going to be doing so good with those things. And God is going to have revealed some things, else you've got to surrender. Right? I told my wife when I first got in church, I said, I can't believe I'm Keep finding out all these things that are sin. Right? But that's what it is. Then repeat the next decade, the next decade, the next decade until God brings you home. And it's this constant thing of doing that. So, brother and sister, until that day, our lives as Christians are marked by confession, repentance, and reconciliation. That's what's got to happen. So, for you, and so here's what it is I can't make disciples because I'm not a good disciple right now. Well, then nobody could do it. Nobody could do it. We're supposed to be discipling each other. That's what small groups are about. It's not about me standing up in my group and going, Hey, man, I'm the guy. I'm the man. I've arrived. Follow me in what I'm doing. No, it's a matter of all of us going, We're all sinners. We're all messing up. Hey, does anybody have a Bible verse that can help me with the problem I've got? So that's why if you're not in a small group, if you're not connected to a bunch of people that love you like that, you are missing out, man. You're missing out. I need that. I need somebody speaking in my life. See, a couple of my my small group people back here, the holders, young couple, right? Came to faith in Christ just recently. I need them speaking in my life. Because you know what they say? They say things that are fresh and new that I've forgotten. I've been saved 34 years. So this whole thing about making disciples, right? So you've got this rhythm in the scripture that God's expecting that you and I are maturing. Right? You've got, it's not at this moment you've arrived and you're nailing it and you've got it all together. Right? It's the expectations we're moving that way. Doesn't that make you feel better? It does me. I'm moving that way. So, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ means to be a follower of, not converts, but disciples, right? We're not making converts. It's not, okay, I've, I've surrendered my life to Christ, boom, that's it. No, it's what? We're all constantly growing together, all right? Let me give, get to, let's go get to, the, to the, one of the number four here. And lo, I'm with you all the way. Ev- well, I've skipped that. I didn't go there. I'm still good. All right. Don't go there yet, Ken. I mean, here's the thing. Let me, let me give this real quick before I get to that last, that last part there. Here's the thing. God, God wants us all to be involved in the discipling of everyone all at one time. Because, again, you're uniquely wired. You're uniquely designed. You bring things to each other that nobody else has. We all need each other. Okay? Let's go to number four. And, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. Okay? I love that, I love that part there. I love that part. Did I skip one? Ken, did I skip something? Okay. I love that part there because here's what's the deal. At every point of this, this whole thing about going, baptizing, teaching, doing all of that, at every point along that line, I feel my flesh flaring up. Okay? And it's like, as you go make disciples, that involves proclamation, right? So it's kind of like, man, I'm trying to share the gospel with anybody I can share the gospel with, but I've never gotten over that initial, uh, I'd rather be cool, which is really comical for a 59-year-old man. I mean, you know. But so it, what ends up happening is I get to the, into this ethic of confession, repentance, and reconciliation, every time this thing rubs against me, right? Because Jesus is with me. He says, lo, I'm with you always, right? Because Jesus is with me. So what happens is this. I know my theology is saying to me, God has put you in this situation. God has brought these people across your path, right? The time, the place... It's all boom, boom. And then in me, I'm like, oh, no, man. You know what? I can't do this, right? Because I'm locked up. Let me give you an example. I'm I'm going to call this lady's name Kim. That's not her name, but I'm going to call her Kim. I go Tuesday night, 530, see Roy, right? Yeah, I'm going to swim, too, but I'm, I'm going to see Roy. Keep that conversation going. Well, I get there. And they've got this class going on. Well, see, before I'd gotten there later, the class had finished. But I'm, i got this class going on. And so I'm sitting there. Well, I'm just going to wait for Roy. So I'm sitting down. Well, I'm sitting down in this chair. I've got my Carolina hoodie on. Okay, bright Carolina blue, man. It's got the big old Carolina across there, you know. And I'm sitting there, right? And I'm just kind of vegging out, waiting on Roy. I see this lady walk in, right, dressed to the nines. I mean, if it, if, if what she's got on doesn't cost a thousand dollars, I'm seven foot tall, right? I mean, it's just she is dressed. I mean, got the scarf. I mean, she looks like she just walked out of a magazine. A professional woman, you know. She's older. I can tell she's got gray in her hair, you know. Well, younger like me, you know, in her fifties, you know, and and, uh, and you know what starts happening. I start locking up because I'm going, Oh, that's why I'm here early. <coughs> that's why I'm here early, right? God is going to bring this, I'm supposed to speak to this woman, right? And so I'm locking up in here and I'm thinking, Oh, well, you know, my theology's cranking on me. And I'm going, You know, place, yeah, time, yeah. You know, oh, but she's not interested. She doesn't really want to hear this. You know, she hasn't even looked any, looked my way. She doesn't even know I exist. I'm wrestling with this thing. I know, I'm wrestling, you know, and, and then she comes up and she goes, and I'm thinking, I, 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 I mean, how do I just say, just, you know, hello, how are you? Can I talk to you about Jesus? You know, I'm sitting there in sweatpants and a Carolina hoodie with flip-flops, you know. Here's what happens. She stops dead in front of me. I'm sitting there. She's walking along. She stops dead in front of me and goes, Go Heels? I go, Yeah, absolutely. Tar Heels, Go Heels. That's what we say in North Carolina. Okay. I said, Yeah, absolutely. She said, I went to school in Furman in South Carolina. Right? And I'm going, So she starts this conversation back and forth, right? So then I, I'm going, Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, now I'm in it, man. I'm, I'm talking, you know, and da, da 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 Now, I don't know how you do this, right? But this works for me. Probably wouldn't work for you, but it works for me every time, right? She's talking along, and and I I said, well, what do you do, you know? What brought y'all here? You know, what brought y'all to Arkansas, you know, from South Carolina? She tells me the whole story, right? And then she asked me, what did she ask me, class? I've got a Carolina shirt on. I went to the University of North Carolina. She goes, what brought you here from North Carolina? I win. I win. I win. You know why I win? Because my answer is always the same. I say the same thing. I said, I know. Nobody in their right mind would move from North Carolina to Arkansas. It would have to be divine. And she's like, you know, and I said, and it was. And she went, I said, God told me to come. I said, I'm one of the pastors down at Gospel Light. So, right? So, uh, what's this thing look like to you? Well, she—I won't tell you the whole story, but she got all she got kind of, kind of tight, right? So I kind of did some different things and relieved her tension because it's kind of awkward there, you know. She doesn't know what to say at that point, you know. She's like, "Okay, right?" So I have to kind of carry the ball a little bit. What I'm telling you though is this—that's every time for me. You mean you that can talk at the drop of the hat and you drop the hat? That's what my wife says, yeah. And you start talking? Yes. But to talk about Jesus in society, right? It's this whole thing. But here's the thing, folks. I've got to do that. How can I encourage the people like you to go out and talk boldly if I'm living like a coward? Right? Here's what I want to tell you. Point number four there. In your neighborhood, concerning your neighbors, Jesus is there. It's not you. In your workplace, Jesus is there. He's not abandoned us to do this on our own. I know that's not up there, but that's in your neighborhood, concerning your neighbors, Jesus is there. In your workplace, Jesus is there. He has not abandoned us to do this on his own So let's do this. Let's herald the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Open our mouths. Let's talk to people that way. Okay? Let's see who he'll draw to himself. Let's baptize those who repent and believe. Let's walk in the ongoing ethic of confession, repentance... And reconciliation. Let's disciple others to do the same thing. That's why you're born. That's why you're saved. That's why you're attached to this church. That's the purpose for our lives. That's the mission of the body of believers here. Let's pray. Father.